0: Hannah Wilder, hosting the Global Executive Coaching SIG on Wednesday, February 7th at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. GMT. And our guest this afternoon and evening is Susie Pomerantz, author of the much praised, hot off the press book, Seal the Deal. And she'll speak to us about demystifying rainmaking how successful global executive coaches make money while making a difference. Susie is an executive coach. She's an MCC, a performance consultant, and corporate trainer specializing in leadership development with Fortune 500 clients and also public sector leaders. And um, she's a coaching veteran in the legal arena. She's also worked with government agencies, and she's led executives and senior managers in six corporate law departments and has a lot of other um, experience to her name Uh, I'm going to let uh, you introduce yourself Susie and say what is most important to you and about yourself and also how you came to write the book I know that's one thing you want to talk about and we're interested in it uh, along with the points that you're going to make so I just like to welcome you and thank you for agreeing to come and speak with us today
1: thank you Hannah what I'll do
0: is go ahead
1: well, I, I was just, uh, thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be part of this call, and um, I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to meet some new colleagues and join in this
0: dialogue. Good. What I'll do is to hand it over to you, and um, probably a few minutes before the call I may just uh, um, say, you know, ask if you have any particular points you want to make so that we can do our wind-up. Um, so it's all yours.
1: Thank you. Well, I really appreciate the introduction too and I thought maybe I would just tell you guys a little bit more about myself and introduce the book a little bit and then talk about there are about 8 points that I want to share with you today. And I thought I'd sort of run through all of that and then open it up for dialogue at the end so that we can get a stimulating dialogue going rather than me feeling like I need to interrupt the dialogue to get more points across. Um So just to introduce myself, I have been coaching leaders and executives for almost 14 years. It will be 14 years in May, and in that time I've had the honor and privilege of working in uh, over 115 organizations worldwide, seven of which are Fortune 100 firms. Hannah mentioned the six corporate law departments. Um, I've worked in a number of law firms, almost a dozen law firms, and a number of public organizations, as well as working with entrepreneurs, so all across the board. Um, some of my clients that you m- might have heard of include DuPont and Sears, Welch's, Pfizer, American Express. Um, I've done a lot of work with professional services firms like Accenture and Deloitte and Pricewaterhouse, um, and some not-for-profit organizations like Goodwill International and, um, and of course, some federal government since I'm here in D.C. You can't really avoid that. Um, And basically what I do as a coach is I I help leaders and organizations find clarity in chaos. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is excellence and stewardship of executive coaching. And to that end, I serve on a couple of boards. I'm in my second term on the board of directors of ICCO, the International Consortium for Coaching and Organizations. And I'm on my third term on the board of the International Journal for Coaching and Organizations. Um, And I was also involved for many years with the Executive Coaching Summit. Um, I've been attending it for seven of its eight years in existence, and I was on the planning team for three of those. Um, And then most recently I spoke at the ICF conference in St. Louis. So if any of you were there, you know at least what I look like. (laughs) Um, And so part of why I wrote the book, if I could just jump right into that, is that, well, there were a couple of reasons. One is that, I, for years, was hearing statistics that only 7% to 9% of coaches were making a living coaching. Now, I know that that wasn't somehow distinguished between life coaches versus executive coaches. I I don't think there was a distinction made in those statistics as they were coming out. But then there were also some other disturbing statistics about our field where um, I was hearing that more than half, 53% of coaches, are making less than $20,000 a year, and I found that disturbing. Um, And that coupled with the fact that every time I would go to an ICF event, whether it was local or the international ones, I was always approached by colleagues who were really interested in finding out how I got the clients that I was getting. And when I started to look at that and when I began to deconstruct how I did go about getting my clients, I realized that there was, within that, there was a way for me to contribute something to the coaching community. So, what was born from that conscious deconstructing of how I go about getting clients was a series of teleclasses that were was a ten session series of teleclasses um, about how to go and get clients, and and that led to the book. So the the, the book has the teleclass some of the teleclass content in it, and um, I, I've also just been really fortunate with. The book itself, so far some of the um, big names in our field have reviewed the book, Marshall Goldsmith and Ken Blanchard and Julio Olaya and Mary Beth O'Neill, as well as many others, have reviewed the book. So uh, what people have been telling me that they like the most about it is that, well, the focus is really on the mindsets that trip us up in business development. It also provides real and practical improvement proven examples it has worksheets, it has checklists, it has templates, it has samples, strategies. It's it's really packed with a an, a lot of elements, and it's not the kind of book that you would have to read cover to cover to get value from. It's really the kind of book where you can use it as a worksheet. You can flip it open to any section that you really want to work on and do some of the exercises from that section. So it's it's designed to be a, a workbook type of a book. Um, and the most exciting news lately is that I've heard about a few professors who are starting to use that book with their classes and making it required reading for their coaching students. So that's exciting. Um, so so in preparing for this call, I was thinking about, you know, Hannah asked me to come up with eight key points to share with you. And so I, I've thought about the eight keys to success in rainmaking, some of which, Go directly against what is known to be the conventional wisdom in how we as coaches are taught to market ourselves and, and grow our businesses. So, um, what I'd like to do is run through these points and then open up for dialogue and your questions. And I, I do want to say that while I'm not an expert on global business and the impact of various cultures in global business, I have had a few experiences during my own coaching business with work in high context cultures. I did some work in Niger, a little bit of work in italy i 've done a fair amount of work in canada and and i 've learned a little bit in my own journeys about relationship building as um, the part of the process that comes before getting to the actual nuts and bolts business conversation and In the course of my learning in that i've i 've grown aware of the distinctly American way of pacing in business and and I really want to urge you as, we, as I go through these points and as we go through some of our, our conversation today about sealing the deal, I would like to learn from you and have you share your expertise from the different cultures in which you live and work about these core concepts. Um, so in other words, I would just love your help to, make, to help expand my own awareness even further and make sure that I'm not being too Ameri-centric in my <laughs> in my eight keys to success here. Um, so can I count on you for support in that area on this call? Is everybody
0: muted? (laughs) Yes. This is Hannah. I'm saying yes. (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. So so here we go with the eight keys to success. Um, Number one, and this, again, might go against some of the conventional wisdom, but it's a business, not a practice. This is one of the mindsets to take on. I hear people talking about my coaching practice or how big is my practice or what I do in my practice. It's a business, not a practice. Um, people in the medical field, you know, doctors, dentists, they have practices. If you're practicing a sport or, you know, yoga is a practice, you might, have an in, you might play an instrument, you practice an instrument. But co- coaching is a business, and this is important because a business, any business should have a business development strategy. Sometimes it's called a sales strategy. Sometimes it's called a strategic marketing plan. Sometimes it, what I find with coaches, though, since we confuse ourselves by thinking of it as a practice, is that it turns out our business development strategy is somehow hinged on magic. You know, there's a a mystery about how new business happens. I've heard senior practitioners say things like, well, I don't really know how I get new business. I just go to lunch with people, and sometimes I get clients that way. And I've heard other senior people say, you know, who've been doing it for years, say, well, it's all really kind of been from the seat of my pants. I've never had a business plan. So what I want to say is that lunch and seat of your pants and magic, those are not sales strategies. Sales and business development are a systematic process. And once you know the process, it becomes predictable, repeatable, sustainable. And this is the best part, the best news for us as coaches, is that you can dial that up or dial it down as your life choices require. So the real hinge in being able to to take on elements of life balance in terms of business development and sustaining your business is really thinking about it as a business, not a practice. If it's a practice, it's something that you can't really dial down because a practice has to build cumulatively on itself um, in in terms of expertise. But but the process of business development, once you know it and can work it, I'll give you an example. I have a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old now. And when my five-year-old was first born, I dialed down my sales process. And because it was a predictable, repeatable process, I was able to um, change the size and scope of my business at the time when my daughter was born so that I could be home more with her and be working just a few hours a week. I really, I was able to, to hone it down so that I was only working about five hours a week, which was just perfect for me at that time as a new mom and trying to cope with that reality. And then again... When she was a little bit older, I was able to dial it back up, fill up my business again to the point where I wanted to and still be able to balance time with my daughter. And then when my son was born two years later, again, I was able to dial it down. And then, you know, now that he's three, I've dialed it back up again. So there's, you have a lot of choice and flexibility when you think about it as a business instead of a practice. Um, So that's that's the first point. The second point is, um, again, about mindsets, that I hear often that, people talk about marketing their coaching practice or marketing their coaching business. Marketing is not rainmaking. Marketing is one piece of rainmaking. And so we tend to confuse the terms, and we tend to talk about marketing as the catch-all phrase to include everything. But what I want to say is that rainmaking is synonymous with business development, and those, those, that's the umbrella concept. Underneath that, you have several key core concepts, networking, marketing, and sales. I would even maybe throw PR into that as well depending on what your niche is. Um, but I'm going to focus right now on distinguishing networking, marketing, and sales because um, when people talk about a lot of times in the common language in our field, people talk about marketing but they really mean the word business development. So just to distinguish that, business development means rainmaking. It means the integration point of networking, marketing, and sales networking is the relational piece. That is when you are out there meeting people, connecting with people, creating relationships, um, connecting with uh, different individuals and groups. It's not necessarily, networking in and of itself is not necessarily about connecting with people for the purpose of growing your business. It's simply about creating relationships. Some of them may be for the purpose of growing your business and some of them may not. But either way, it's networking, and that's an ongoing process. So that's the relational piece. Marketing is what I call the preparation piece. Marketing are those activities that typically are you behind your computer screen. Those are things like creating copy for your website, creating a website, designing your logo or your business cards or your letterhead, writing letters, writing articles, writing books. Um, Speaking engagements count as marketing. Um, Anything that you're doing that is about getting your message out there or promoting your, uh, your offering is marketing. Usually it's it revolves around words and visual images. And then there's the sales piece. And the sales piece is the implementation piece. So we have networking is relation, marketing is preparation and sales is implementation. And implementation, the sales piece is really following the sales process, uh, talking to people face to face usually distinctly about their needs and your offering, and asking for them to purchase your services. That's the sales piece. So that's, um, those distinctions would be my second point, really being clear about those distinctions. So my third point, then, is that net, i want to just drill these down a little bit. So points three, four, and five or more about networking, marketing, and sales specifically. So networking is not something that you do that's outside of your work like taking out the trash or paying taxes. It's not an extra add-on thing that you do. It's ongoing. It's about connecting with people, meeting people, talking to people, getting to know what matters to people, being more interested than interesting. It's not about talking about your benefits and features. It's not about educating people about coaching, although that might be part of the conversation. But networking is not simply going to a networking event and handing out business cards or gathering and collecting business cards. Networking is really about authentic, deep connections with people, and that could be in any arena. It could be when you are um, socializing with your community. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be with family and friends. It could be in uh, whatever spiritual or religious community you're active in. Um, And it it, it takes a number of different um, shapes depending on your culture, your interests, um, anytime you're volunteering, anytime you're anything that you're doing with people is opportunity for networking. So point, point number four, marketing. One of the drawbacks of marketing, and I hear this time and from our colleagues, is that marketing can be used as a crutch to keep you hidden from your prospective clients. It's almost as if there's a fear of getting out there in front of our prospective clients and asking them to buy our services and that we hide behind marketing. We think, well, if I have more materials or if I'm more prepared, if I, you know, if only I could get all my ducks in a row, then I'll be ready to go and talk to these people about what I do. I'm not ready to go ask people to buy my services yet because I don't have anything to give them or I don't, you know, and so what happens is we tend to to think that, well, I'll be less afraid. I, you know, I'll be able to get out there and pick up the phone and make calls if I'm more prepared. So. The thought that I want to leave you with on that point is that you don't get less afraid by being more prepared. You only get more prepared by being more prepared. Mm -hmm. And being more prepared doesn't necessarily mean you get more clients. It just means you're more prepared. So there's a point at which you've got to stop getting dressed for the ball and you have to go to the ball. Um, So that's, that's the point about marketing. Okay, so point number five. Am I going too fast? I know I talk fast as it is. am I it's going to excellent. Fast? okay, you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I hear you okay, good, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um this point is one that definitely flies in the face of conventional wisdom in our field. Um, never give it away for free, and I feel pretty strongly about this. one. I know that there I know that i 'm really directly flying in the face of a lot of different training programs that are out there that say. You know, you need to give away free samples of the coaching to show people what it can do and to have people have an experience of coaching so that they'll buy it. So here's why I say never give it away for free. It's very, very hard as a human being to start paying for something that you've gotten for free. Let's think about in America there's a big push now around parking in cities where a lot of parking that used to be free is now becoming, you know, cities are starting to really figure out because of the demand how they can charge more and more. I just read an article in the Wall Street Journal last week about how um, in some parts of Los Angeles they're actually charging $10 an hour at at a certain parking meter, you know, this is for street metered parking, things like that. So that they're starting to, city planners are starting to look at how do you, how does the city make more money from the parking spaces that are in higher demand? And they're starting to study that. So uh, that's a very interesting analogy where people are getting – the citizens are getting angry because they've been getting this parking for free, and now all of a sudden they have to start paying for it. So similar to that is – using that analogy to tie back into coaching, if you want to give people an experience of what you do as a coach – You can do so offering a special reduced introductory rate or a trial offer instead. But if you're giving it away for free, think of who you're attracting. You're attracting those people who want something for nothing. You're not necessarily attracting the people who are going to um, be interested in paying top dollar for what you're providing. So that's my um, going against the grain thought about not giving it away for free. Um, I also think, and this is just my personal bias, that when you give it away for free, as many of us um, were trained to do, it it devalues, it, 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 it can devalue what we're doing in the marketplace. And part of my passion for stewardship of our profession is that I really want the market to value what we do. I really want the market to know that, that our time and our training and our processes, our methodology and our analysis is valuable and it's worth paying for. And if we're giving it away for free, then we're saying that it's at a value of zero and we don't want to say that. Um, Okay, so I'll get off my soapbox about that one. Um, Number six, if you can link your attitudes and beliefs about sales or business development, or rainmaking. If you can link your attitudes and beliefs about rainmaking to your greatest passion, or your strongest value, or your deepest commitment, or your most powerful strength, that's where you're going to make a difference. What's meaningful to you? So let me give you an example of that. When I first started my business, I really didn't know anything about sales, and in fact, to me, sales was kind of a dirty word. It was, well, that's what used car salesmen do. That's sleazy. It's you know, trying to push something on someone or um, or it's like a telemarketer bothering someone at dinner time. And I I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be associated with that. And so what shifted for me, the mindset shift was when I really got clear, and this was through the help of my coach at the time, when I really got clear that what's most important to me and what's meaningful to me is really making a a contribution to people, really making a difference with people. And when I was able to come from that place, about sales. That for me, business development is about creating opportunities to make a difference for people or finding opportunities to make a difference for people. It's not about foisting myself on people. Then I was able to really engage with the process of sales because it was linked to something that was meaningful to me. So I would challenge you to first of all, there's two pieces to this. One, assess what your current attitudes and beliefs about rainmaking or sales are. And two, come back to the bottom line of what is your greatest passion or your strongest value or your commitment or your strength and, what, you know, what's meaningful to you and how can you link that to your business development activities. Um, point number seven is to, it, to give up attachment to specific outcomes. Um, of course, we all want to get the deal. You know, when we're talking to a prospective client, we want them to buy from us but if we're attached to that as a specific outcome then we're coming from a place of neediness and not coming from an abundance place so part of what there is part of the freedom in understanding that um, business development is a process is that you can understand that it's a numbers game and once you understand the numbers then you you have a little bit more room to give up attachment to specific outcomes. I'll give you an example Um, if you are pursuing five prospective clients at one time then you have a lot of time to worry about whether or not each one closes you have time to think about each of those five and, and think about where they are in the sale really fret about each conversation and you have time to analyze and dissect everything that they said and you have time to ponder if there was a veiled rejection or if they're trying to brush you off or, you know you have a lot of time to be emotionally vested On the other hand, if you're pursuing 125 leads at a time, you don't really have time to get attached to specific outcomes with any one of those. So the good news there is that there's some freedom. If you're focused on pursuing the numbers of it, if you're pursuing 125 leads as opposed to five, then you have have better odds, first of all, that something's going to pop. But second of all, you don't really have time to get emotionally vested in whether or not it moves forward. So it's easier and better for us playing the numbers game. Um, and rejection, it, even if it's a rejection from the top, might not be final. Um, one example was that I was talking to the CEO of an organization where he really couldn't see any need for coaching. He just he didn't see it. It didn't make sense to him. And that's not what he was focused on. He wasn't focused on the day-to-day elements of some of the leadership in his organization. He was really looking at um, expanding, and um, he he was out kind of creating deals out in the market. So that I had originally taken that as a final rejection, but through a different avenue of networking, I got in connection with a division president in the same organization where the CEO had said, no, he doesn't really see a need for coaching. But this division president, who had more day-to-day leadership and operational accountabilities, did see a need for where he could leverage coaching inside his organization. And he then was able to sell me inside to the CEO who had originally rejected it, because the division president saw the need more specifically. So had I stayed with the mindset of rejection, well, no, the CEO already said, no, there's no opportunity there. I would not have gotten that work, and that ended up being a five-year contract. Um, so, it, it, there's, so that's another mindset to keep in mind about not being attached to specific outcomes. Even if rejection comes from the top, it may not be final. Um, the other piece of rejection is that it's a normal part of the process. And so when you expect it, you can plan your response to it. You can prepare for it and therefore take the emotional charge out of it. Um, and then the, my eighth point here is that it's important to be able to take risks and confidently ask for specifically what you want. So if you're leading in a conversation with a prospective client, if you're leading from your commitment to service as opposed to your commitment to dollars, <laughs> um, then when you ask for their business and ask for referrals, you, you're coming from a place of figuring out what's in it for them rather than how much you need or want their business. But, but it's important to ask for specifically what we want. I, I hear time and time again about folks who are in conversations where they think the conversation went beautifully, they feel like the prospective client really saw the value in what they can provide and the prospective client really liked them and they hit it off. And then they wonder why they don't get the business. Well, it's because they forgot the piece about asking for it. They forgot to say, you know what, I'd really love to work with you, and here's what I'd like to do as the next steps. Or I'd really like to work with you. Can you make this decision final, or do we need to talk to other people in the organization? Things like that. So you have to specifically ask for what you want. You've got to ask for their business. Or if you're clear that, there's, that they can't provide um, an avenue for you to serve them, then you can ask them for referrals. Who else do you know that I could talk to about? this kind of thing that you and I have been talking about. You can ask for another meeting with them or with the decision maker. You can ask for information about their decision-making process or about what they're currently doing. So the, the thing about referrals and asking for referrals is that referrals are really they're kind of like the secret all-access pass to expanding your business with existing clients too while you're talking to clients that you already have at any point in the engagement letting them know that you want to grow your business through referrals and asking them specifically if they know of anybody that you could talk to um, is really a way for you to for them to start thinking about the value that you've been providing to them and start thinking about who in their network they know that they could connect you up with so it allows you to be able to then expand if you're in an organization you can ask them for referrals to other people inside the same organization, so then you can expand your business with that organization, or it gets them thinking about who are their colleagues and peers and friends and neighbors for whom you'd be um, very helpful. So, um, so that's that's that thought, and um, I think, uh, well, I think what I'd like to do is open it up to dialogue and questions now and then we can sort of come back and summarize it all together. So that way we'll have a healthy amount of time here left for, for some dialogue. So does anybody have a question, or based on what you heard? I know I kind of went through that. I feel like I went through that rather quickly, but um, what would Could you,
2: you would like you to... just recap the eight keys, the the short nuggets, because I got all the background, but the you did just share a wealth of, of info, so just like the eight bullet points would be great
1: sure okay so number one it's not a business it's a business not a practice it's a business not a practice is number one and sort of the subset to that is that a business has a business development strategy got it number two is um that it's all in mindsets and that rainmaking and business development are the umbrella and networking marketing and sales were distinguished underneath that
2: okay great
1: the third is um that networking is not something you do outside of your work. It's ongoing. The fourth is um, the, the marketing, not to use marketing as a crutch. You, you know, you only get more prepared by being more prepared. So don't use marketing as a crutch. Don't use marketing to hide from people. Okay. Um, the fifth is never give it away for free. The sixth is linking your attitudes and beliefs about sales to your greatest passion, value, commitment, or strength. Seven is giving up attachment to specific outcomes. And eight is take risks and confidently ask for specifically what you want.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. So I know some of that was probably a little bit um, against the grain of, of what people have already been thinking and doing or have been taught to do. So I'd love to delve into that as well and just see what you all think. Hi,
2: this is Burnell from South Carolina, and I um, agree with you on all of those points. And the one that I would like to hone in on is the business development process and how you commented that it's systematic, something that can be learned. Um, Apparently I'm having trouble learning and honing in on that process. So my question is, do you have any recommendations of how I can Improve my knowledge of identifying that system and that process, and creating that for my business.
1: Yes, I have a very self-serving recommendation for you. <laughs> Buy my book. <laughs> the um, has uh, that for blatant self-promotion. The um, The Seal the Deal book is it's laid out in a ten-step system. It actually lays out the system for business development. And from there, when you look at the mindsets and the ten steps in that book, then you can tweak it and the, the idea really is that that's sort of like the core foundation and then you can tweak it and make it your own and um, leverage your own personality and your own strengths within that. Thank you. I didn't get the title of your book. I got on the call late. Oh, okay. It's called Seal the Deal and the subtitle is The Essential Mindsets for Growing Your Professional Services Business. And um, it's available on Amazon and on barnesandnoble.com and, um, and my website, you can find out more at the website, which is
0: www.sealthedealbook.com.
1: Thank you very and much. And let me,
0: this is Hannah. This is Hannah. I uh, I have the book. I somehow, as soon as Susie, Susie did advanced preparation, my book will be out soon. Watch for my book. Would you like to be notified? Which I also think was great sales. And I did get an early copy, and I'm sharing it with my students. And what I would like to say about this is if, when you get this book, I think you're going to really like it, and uh, for all the reasons Susie has mentioned and because of the people who have endorsed it, and also because it's very personal, it's, it's, the teleclasses are there. But the other thing is we're all coaches, and we're all here to help one another. So if you read Susie's book and you really like it, go to Amazon.com go to barnesandnoble.com and write a good review for her. Oh, thank you. That's what I have to say. So <laughs> don't, don't be quiet about it. Make noise about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, my, you know, my, my real goal for the book, I, I don't want to quit my day job as a coach because that's my real passion. So my goal for the book is that it really is a way for me to help all of our colleagues who are struggling with how do I, you know, I didn't go get my MBA. I'm not a business. I'm not a marketer. I'm not a salesperson. I'm not, you know, I don't, I got into coaching because I want to help people. I don't want to have to do all this other stuff, but I realize that I need to get clients. So I really want the book to sort of take off on its own word of mouth. You know, let's, this, this is the, the book is the answers to the questions that people keep asking me, that our colleagues keep asking me when I meet them one-on-one about, well, how did you do it? How do I grow my business? How do I get clients? So the book has the answers to all of that. It's just so that I, I got you know over, over the last few years, I feel like I was saying the same thing so many times to everyone who would ask me that I just put it all in the book.
3: <laughs> Susie, yeah, this is Revel Miller. Hi, Santa Barbara. Besides networking and asking for referrals, which are really obviously good marketing tools, what other tools do you use do you Do you use things like direct mail or a website to which which is available? Uh, which explains your services? Do you ask for other professionals who are uh, working with your target market? Do you, ask, uh, do you get relationships with them so that they can refer you in? Do you do speaking or any kinds of special events like that or teleclasses? or yes. What other things do you do?
1: I do? Yes to all of the above except for direct mail. I don't really do direct mail because um, to me that's, that's marketing that's, um, that I don't know wh- what it's really doing. Um and I think that's just my personal bias because whenever I receive I receive a lot of direct mail that's that just goes right in the trash. Um so I typically I try to use the the integration of networking, marketing and sales. So activities in all three domains. So in the marketing domain, the activities that I do are speaking engagements, I do calls like these, I write articles, I have two websites, um one for my business and one for the book. I um I speak at conferences, you know, all of of those good marketing activities. Um, Then for the networking piece of the puzzle, I'm always, always, always interested in meeting people who are in um, not only my target industries but meeting colleagues just to explore what's possible. Um, One of the things that I lay out in the book are the nine mindsets of networking. And one of the key mindsets in there is being a connection seeker. And so that's something that I'm constantly doing. I'm constantly seeking ways to connect with all sorts of people, as much as my schedule will allow. You know, sometimes people laugh at me because I'll look to connect with someone and I can't really fit them in until three months down the road. But, I, it, you know, I still, I still value having those conversations and really connecting with people, not only who are prospective clients or who are linked to prospective clients, but people who are colleagues because you never know what's possible. Um, and then in the sales activity, I, I really, um, I stick to the sales process that I know, you know, over time has, has really worked for me. And so, I, so um, I try to do activities in each of those domains, networking activities, marketing activities, and sales activities every day. And if I can't do all three activities every day, then I at least in a week make sure that I get all three covered. So it's okay. how it's how I organize my time, using making sure that I'm doing activities in all three of those domains. Because if you're, it's not a linear approach. A lot of times people think it's linear, where you got to do all your get all your marketing materials together first before you can go out there and start networking, and then after that you can start selling once you've built up a big enough network. It's not linear like that. It's it really is all three working in
0: harmonious concert.
3: Okay, thank you very much. This is Chana.
0: Thanks, Revel. That was a great question. Um, what is what about blogging and podcasting? Well, I'm. You
1: know what I'm. Think <laughs> about I think they're great ideas, <laughs> and I, I I don't know enough about the technology side of things. I'm really, I'm I'm so technologically <laughs> backwards. Um, but I I I think that they're good ideas to the extent that they don't drive you. Now you got to make your own personal choices. I have... Up until now, have personally chosen not to write a blog and not to have a newsletter because of the fact that I didn't want to be personally because of my life balance challenges. I did not want to to be tied to having to produce something in writing at regular intervals. I wanted to be able to be free to fit it into my own time, so I always felt like I would be. Um, very much owned by a newsletter. You know, if I commit to sending out a monthly newsletter, that means I have deadlines every month that I'd have to meet, and I didn't want to have to be answering to a newsletter as much as I have to answer to clients and children and all those other demands of my time. Um, So that was a personal choice. And blogging, I understand, you know, you can do that whenever, but still, if you've started a blog and committed to a blog, then if you develop a readership, then people are expecting you to continue to, to build it but I also have talked to colleagues who very successfully have worked on blogs that they have then turned into books and other products. So I can, see, I can definitely see the value in it. And I do talk to colleagues all the time who say that their newsletter is a main source of where they get um, new, interested, prospective clients. So, um, you know, it, it's what works for you. Different, different life balance Thanks. challenges and different personal needs. And podcasts, I think podcasts are a great idea because they're something that people can um, can use and download, and they're web-based, and I think they're a great idea.
0: And uh, the Queen of England podcast her Boxing Day speech this year. Oh, wow. So if wow. we want to be at least up-to-date with the Queen, wow. I think we should think about it. <laughs> yep. And the person who's helpful with podcasting is Lisa Barnes, who spoke here. It's
1: L-E-E-S-A-B-A-R-N-E-S.
0: Lisa Barnes knows all about podcasting. She's a Canadian person. Coach. Great. Okay, so other questions for Susie?
2: This is Laura in Atlanta, and I actually have a marketing background and I really want to acknowledge you for And then went the coaching route and got the MCC and all that and you've done a beautiful job of um, pulling all this together and, and naming it very clearly so good for you and my question is do you find that you can share this process with people in different contexts I also primarily work in leadership and team development and so forth but from time to time, we'll have coaching clients that are wanting to go into a different field, so it ends up being career coaching that I'm doing, uh, almost life coaching in a business context. These same principles, though, seem to apply.
1: They absolutely do, yeah, and um, and thank you for raising that, because I did want to mention that and I'd forgotten. I, I've actually found, I finished writing the book a year ago in January, so What I found in the past year while it was in its publishing process was that I was applying all of these same ten core mindsets, you know, the the ten steps in my process, I was applying it with my internal clients. And what I found was that by applying these same mindsets with my clients, they were able to use it for a number of different purposes. Some of them were able to use it for um, gaining promotions and visibility within their organization. Some of them were able to use it for selling their ideas and gaining influence with boards of directors or with leadership teams. Some of them were able to use it for informational interviews, which is a big piece of the book as well. There's a there's a bit about informational interviews, and that's something that I was using with clients to help them um, with their career transition challenges and things like that. So. Um, so it absolutely is applicable inside an organization, and I think at some point um, I'm probably going to need to write a second book on the subject and you know, write it specifically for folks inside organizations and how to leverage these points um, to influence and sell ideas internally and increase your visibility and promotability and manage your career. But it absolutely works for those. So thanks Great. for bringing that up. I'm also really glad to hear that someone with a marketing background say that I actually did it right because I don't have a marketing background. You know, this is just what I learned along the way. So thank you. That's validating.
4: It's great endorsement. This is Marilyn O'Hearn, and I'm sorry I had to take another call for a few minutes. So I came in on back in on never give it away, and is that addressed more in the book then? It is. It's. A, okay. I think it's woven in there through the um, the telecourses.
1: Okay. Yeah.
4: All right. Did you have a question about that specifically, though? Did you want to? Well, you know, so many coaches give introductory coaching sessions, complimentary sessions. So were you talking about not doing that and doing that at a reduced rate or some introductory rate? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And And the reason being that when you give it
1: away for free, you're attracting people who want something for free. And when people are getting something for free, it's very
4: hard to ask them to start paying for it. It makes sense. It makes sense. Thank you for the clarification. And the other was, the phone call was someone inviting me to be considered for some subcontracting on executive coaching, and I just wanted to hear from people, you know, taking into account that the um, the company who is going to bring me in is going to take a piece of the be, how how do you all work that? Is that appropriate to this call? I'd love to hear from people, or maybe let's, <laughs> maybe let's, you can email let's, let's me.
0: Let's afterwards. see what Susie has to say about it. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> yeah, you know I it, think it's a good question, Marilyn. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Susie, I I think let me uh, kind of if I if, if I can, Marilyn, let me sculpt that question a little bit. That's great. Uh, this is Hannah. Um, if we weigh uh, following our own marketing process uh, with um, accepting those referrals, how is our time best spent? Would that be fair, Marilyn?
4: Yeah, and and I'd love to just hear like percentage or number or something because um, I haven't done this in a while. I've, well, I I, I do normally a... get, I, I normally just get the business myself, and instead of. Working under someone else? I do a fair amount of it. And okay.
1: um, I enjoy having a mix of clients that I got myself as well as that I am collaborating with a colleague on. Mm-hmm. And the reason is this um, even though I have the capacity to, to fill up my business with all of my own clients, I really like to keep a portion of my clients in collaboration with other colleagues because, A, it combats the isolation of being an executive coach who is a sole practitioner, and it allows me to be part of a team, and it allows me to um, learn new things all the time. I'm learning not only from their business processes, but from their coaching methodologies, and it's really a lot of how I do my professional development is through these subcontracting arrangements, and it also teaches me because every time I have a subcontracting engagement to offer to other colleagues, I've, I've learned something from each subcontracting engagement that I've been a subcontractor on. Mm-hmm. So then I'm better able to offer um, subcontracting agreements that make that work because I've seen how other people do it. So I like it from that perspective. I also mm-hmm. like it from the perspective of leverage because you get to be inside organizations that you might not otherwise have entered on your own. Yes. Um, so it broadens your client base very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a good idea. In terms of percentages, you know, y- you really have to look at what's going to work for you and why you're doing it um, mm-hmm. and how much it's going to take up. I have walked away from some very lucrative subcontracting agreements. Um, I had one that I, one of the most recent ones that I walked away from was an organization that wanted to pay three hundred dollars an hour for phone coaching all i had to do was get on the phone once a a week with these people and there was something in the subcontract agreement that didn't sit right with me and when i confronted them about it and um, challenged them on it their answer didn't really sit right with me either so you know i had to trust my i had to trust that that the reason that didn't feel good for me is that that wasn't really going to work well for me and i'm grateful that i was able to walk away from that you know it's um so I, i would say that in general, um, the subcontracting is has a wonderful plethora of benefits, and um, the word of caution would be to make sure that it really works for you before you sign on to anything.
4: Okay. Thank
1: you.
2: Yeah. And I, this is Laura in Atlanta, and I would just add to that I do the same thing in the <laughs> mix, and I think that comes back to Susie's point about passion, values, commitment, you know, if the People that you're subcontracting with are really in alignment with you, and the challenge is the time management <laughs> choices, the work-life balance that you're mentioning, Susie. You know, finding that appropriate mix, and that's always in flux.
1: <laughs> right, and you also want to make sure that you're not um, that you're not committing your time to something that is going to then make your time unavailable for an opportunity that would be more aligned to your particular purpose, passion, vision, et cetera. Right. right.
0: right. Thank you. Yeah, you know, that's. This is Hannah. That's what I was kind of getting at. What is the opportunity cost for mm-hmm. building your own independent business? That's a question that that I would ask. I but
1: would also uh, caution you to be very careful about um, intellectual property in those mm-hmm. situations as well. Make sure that you that you retain ownership of your own intellectual property and. Um, and that if you are, because, you know, even though we subcontract to each other, we're all also building our own brand. So you want to make sure that you're not giving away the farm <laughs> that's going to end up hurting you in building your own brand. Right.
0: Susie, um, is this in your book, or am I sensing another book coming?
1: Oh, God, no more books. I have so many lined up already that <laughs> I need to write. I don't know when <laughs> I'm going to do it. I have three books you know, <laughs> outlined in my mind. I. <laughs> I gotta get this. This one has to get walking on its own first before I can take on another one. Mm. <laughs> that was kind of my rule with my children too.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so um, the, this is Rebel again about networking. Yes. Uh, don't you want to place yourself in, uh, in groups of people where there's a high concentration of decision makers, or people inside of, let's say, corporations who can hire you or at least refer you to the decision makers, um, or do you? So, do you want to join? You want to get involved in professional associations where those people tend to be, those corporate type of people, or do you want to get in, inside of uh, industrial organizations, uh, where they're? If you want to target a particular type of industries, is that what you're talking about with networking?
1: No. Um, yes and no. I'm going to give you two answers there. Yes, you want to do all of those things, but to me, that's more part of the sales process. Um, that's to me, that's the distinction between networking and sales. Networking is networking doesn't have shoulds about it. Networking is not about strategically targeting your market, and that's what you're talking about is strategic targeting.
0: Hmm?
1: Strategic targeting is part of the sales process. Networking is a big old party. It's ongoing, it's with everybody, everybody's in the game. There's no there's no shoulds about who you should or shouldn't be networking with. Networking, the pure sense of networking, is really just playing and creating relationships and meeting people and it's connecting. It's connecting with people for no other purpose than to just connect with people. The purpose comes later. When you add the purpose, the strategic targeting to it, that's when it that's when networking shifts into sales.
3: Okay. I get your distinction. Okay. So do you do so do you okay, so when your sales process instead of your networking process do you get involved in associations or any kind of gatherings where there's high concentrations of people that can hire you or invite you into the company
1: Um, personally no because that's not linked with my passion and purpose so um, that would be logical if you were pursuing the almighty dollar But i keep trying to keep my pursuits around service and contribution to making a difference and so therefore I trust that where I get involved and where I choose to spend my time is around things where I'm going to be able to contribute and make a difference. So it's not about targeting the decision makers of, or, of organizations who could hire me. It's about saying, well, I'm really passionate about stewardship of our profession, so I'm going to go play there. And I'm going to trust that leads and connections and networking is going to come from there. And it has so far. Um, so, for example, I have, a, I have someone that I mentor coach, and he is really interested in um, organizations like Habitat for Humanity and things like that, and building playgrounds and building houses for the poor. And so when he is involved in his volunteer time, he gets involved with those kinds of groups, and because it's a, it's a um, purpose that he's passionate about, he's meeting people that have a similar passion, and he's getting clients that way because decision-makers and organizations are doing those things, too. And you're going to meet them based on a common passion, as opposed to, um, you know, a lot of people do get involved in the Chamber of Commerce and things like that just to meet other business people. But I think that it's harder to make genuine connections in those contexts because you don't have a shared um, commitment or a shared passion.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, good.
1: Thanks. I just think about where I want to spend my time, you know. And if I if if I have a certain number of hours in the day devoted to networking or Strategic targeting. Um, I think I'm going to have more fun and be more authentic and genuine if I'm engaged in a group that's doing something that's meaningful to me, as opposed to just, well, I should meet these people because they're the they're the decision makers.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's not bad to do that. You know, it depends on how much time you have. For me, it's you know I want to I want the most bang for my time buck. <laughs>
3: Thank you.
0: Okay, I'm g- we're getting very close to the end of our time. This is Hannah, and I just want to make sure that, um, Susie, you have um, – if there are any final points that you would like to make. And um, I want to say that I will post a couple of PowerPoints that Susie uh, made available. They are on the ICF site, but I'm going to post them at adventara.com forward slash community dot dot html um very soon um probably before tomorrow your time and um i want Susie you to give out any information you want people to have in terms of um obtaining the book or getting any other information from you that you'd like them to have sure um well, so it, and to sum it
1: all up in a final thought, I, what I would want to leave you with is that you already have all the skills that you need. Um, it, it's, it's a matter of leveraging your coaching skills with your natural strengths and personality and style in order to integrate all of your networking, marketing, and sales activities. So get, get going on all three of those domains, networking, marketing, and sales, in strategic concert, and then you'll, you'll find that you'll be booked solid in, a, in no time, and it'll be meaningful. <laughs> Um, so that's, just, that, that's my final thought there. Um, I, and I'm grateful. I, I, it's been really fun to play with you guys today. So I really want to thank you for the opportunity, and um, I've enjoyed our conversation. And the um, places to contact me would be um, the, my two websites are InnovativeLeader.com and FeelTheDealBook.com. Those are both on the World Wide Web. And I do, on both of those websites, there is a free self-assessment quiz that you can access, which, you, you know, that's also part of the book, is um, it's a self-assessment quiz about how, how well you're doing at sealing the deal, so you can sort of rate yourself. Um, and places, you can also contact me through either of those websites, too. There's a place to contact me. And places to get the book would be amazon.com bn you know for barnesandnoble.com and and also directly from the publisher which is hrdpress.com
0: and don't forget this is hannah if you like the book write a good review for her yes thank you for susie and just just in the interest of service (laughs) to let other people know that this is a valuable resource not just for susie but so that uh, you know, other people will know this is a good resource because there are various things out there. And one of the things that I'm, when I'm teaching my students at Advantara and global executive coaching is I'm always looking for things that specifically can be used by them, not things that are sort of scattershot kind of uh, approaches. And I think um, one of the things I like about Susie's approach is that she's really coming from a place of, clarity and integrity, and also service for the profession. So it's, I, that's, that's why I was attracted, and there was just a certain tone about it, all that I really like. And so any way that we can help you, Susie, in spreading this book worldwide and making it more applicable or using examples, please let us know. And, and Thank you. I'm sure we'll all be happy to do that. Well, thank you. Thank you, you I think so that's... much for being with us today.
1: Thank you. I really think the best thing we could all do is just go out there and seal the deal and grow the
0: profession. (laughs) A good note on which to end. Thanks, everybody. Thank you you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.